0: Two, ready, One! Hello, and welcome to Say That, podcast where your big questions, give real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Lynn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA.
1: Indubitably.
0: We'll get into that. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. I don't know what that means, but it sounds fancy. That's <laughs> mainly the point. Also joining us, other members of Tennessee, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church younger
2: not fancy but here
0: okay well you're gonna have to fix that yeah we're gonna need to fancy this up it's it's a fine episode we've got some great questions we're talking about we're talking about breaking cycles we're talking about uh friendships and romantic relationships lots of good stuff but we also have an interview with none other than a superstar christian author Anne lamont which was she was awesome to talk to. There's a lot of great stuff in the interview. She, that was super fancy when we booked it.
3: Okay, yeah. But
0: since the booking of it, yes, uh, the book she is uh, has out, has just been released, it's called yes. Hallelujah Anyway. You can find it at all your, your Amazons, your Barnes and Nobles, your yeah. the other ones that don't exist anymore. You can't right. find it at a Borders, but you can't find a Borders, so <laughs> that's kind of right. the thing there.
1: That's
2: right, ouch.
0: But mm-hmm. since we recorded that interview, said book has been released, and it debuted at number two. On the nonfiction Whoa, oh slot of the New York Times, maybe you've heard of it, bestseller list. Wow. Now, on one hand, this is very good for us because, you know, she's a big name and she's a very, really turned out to be a very, very cool lady and a lot of fun it, stuff it, to talk about.
1: As they say in showbiz, it's a good get.
0: It is a, it's a very solid get. Yeah. But on another hand, in another way, it's not great for us. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, dear listener, we've had on this uh, show, we've had Dove Award winners. Yep. Yep. We've had Grammy winners. Yeah, we had an Emmy winner recently yeah. with a, a brother Jay Quest. And every time we've had one of these big gets, yeah. As uh, Glenn, who's just recently grown a ponytail, when he said that, said, <laughs> um, we've tried to class this joint up. Didn't That's work. Right. It has not gone well. Yeah. But I feel that we we have an angle on it.
1: Yes. Well, it's it basically. Uh... As we say in Texas, you can put icing on a cow pie, but I don't make it no wedding cake. Yeah? That is yeah, true. So, you know what I mean? You know, so you dress it up, but it's Yeah, still, we you know, we get
0: it. You we know. we <laughs> We 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 we're, we're small stepping on you don't that have one. To break, it's
1: like break it like down. You go out in the prairie, yeah, got you, you got a cow pie. People we'll know. You, Wait, I'm
0: not tracking.
1: Stop you it. Put, <laughs> not Stop helping. You put, put the icing on it. This hey, is not my wedding cake. indicative you know?
0: of a podcast featuring <laughs> new york Times bestselling author Anne Lamont. <laughs> that is so true. Here's the thing, so okay. we've tried just general classing it up, which mm. has not gone great okay. we've tried indubitably in, we've tried to be hip <laughs> like when we've had musicians on, and we're right. going to be we're, we're going to class it up though. that way you know be yeah, we're not where that. it's happen- where it's at and what's happening, and that's yeah. gone bad because yeah. I still think people say what's happening and where it's at, so exactly. clearly we're not set for that yeah. I I believe in us uh-huh. as a group of people uh-huh. that we can be literary. Yes. Okay. Oh my. That we can make this podcast sound like it has leather patches on a suede jacket. Right. And not suede patches on a leather jacket, because that way you ruin not one, but two perfectly good jackets. Yeah,
1: that's no good at all. That's Well, that's a good fashion tip right With, there is what that we, is.
0: If, if anything, the constant of this podcast is fashion tips. That's right. So, I feel we can be erudite. Yes. Wow. I don't know what it means, but I feel we can be it. Yes. yes. I feel we can be loquacious.
1: Yes. That sounds
0: a little dirty, but I also feel we can be it. <laughs> yeah. I feel we can be classy
1: literary people. So, what you're saying is no fart joke. Yes.
0: I would appreciate it if you didn't.
1: Okay. Well, that's, uh, I don't know what we're going to, we, we got like an hour to fill here, but.
3: Uh... I would describe our new show as didactic and Jacobian. <laughs> And if you Google the words I use during this emergency and figure out what page I'm stealing them from, (laughs) we will award you so many super fan points you have no idea. we, We will send you
0: leftover merch. Now I think this episode is soundly Victorian. Now I hope you're. Be you clear, know, you said Jacobian, right? Yes, and not like Jacobean, because that means we have to revolt against the French king. I think. I think so. Yeah. I got to
3: be honest with you. I have no
1: idea. So, well, but, you're a real Jacobite.
0: J- Jeds, that's my people. Watch yes, yourself.
1: That's uh, nice.
0: J- Jed's Jeds. Uh, his degree was not in the not in the humanities.
1: No, it was
0: not. It's so a very not. post-colonial statement you just made, Matthew. I mean, in a sense, that the modern university system is post colonial,
1: I guess.
3: Beowulf wouldn't stand for such a thing.
1: Are are you reading someone's term paper? I think it's a
2: syllabus for like.
1: I don't think that epic poem was about really
3: any of this. You know, in the northern heroic tradition, men have killed for less.
0: (laughs) Well, I sure. Okay. So th- do we? Need I feel to- Jed is on an Icelandic saga Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: Jed apparently in trying to what you did is you told Jed to class it up and you broke. Jed. That's right. <laughs> he,
0: he went Viking lore. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's Jed's
0: idea of classy, apparently. Yeah,
1: look, you can't just graft classiness onto Jed. Yeah, My well, body's it's, rejecting, it's body rejecting it. He's body's
0: rejecting it. <laughs> I was strongly <laughs> implying that Jed shouldn't talk during this part
1: <laughs> by saying, no. let's keep it literary
0: and classy. I
2: feel
1: you should have been And much I didn't more spell it out. Yeah. And that's yeah. on me. Yeah.
2: Glenn, Lee, somebody please save us. Well, so uh, I guess that's why, like, Glenn, all of a sudden, instead of wearing the traditional glasses, is wearing a monocle. Right. Three monocles. It seems overkill. So we need to use, like, descending tricolons, aphorisms, yeah. the like. Got to have well, an aphorism. Well, what we need to do, do
1: is uh, to be eloquent. Yes. Uh, to be perspicacious. This is what I'm talking about. Without being overly loquacious Absolutely. or effusive. Or ostentatious. You don't want to be effusive. Well, exactly right. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is a time... Is showing off your better vocabulary, no doubt. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I feel as though, uh, really, this is a time where we're going to come into our own. Yes. And also, can I? Can we discuss You're interrupting this? yourself? But go ahead. Here's what <laughs> I'm saying. We, we, we she released his book. Yes, and nowhere's fell. Number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, that was after you interviewed her. Mm, Yeah,
0: but it premiered there. That was like as high as it could have gone.
1: So what you're saying is the say that bump.
0: Yeah, I mean we don't have proof of not that. That's certainly true. Say that bump, baby. Say that bump, which is different than the say that baby bump, which is a thing I still strongly, (laughs) strongly put forth does not exist.
1: We we, there is scientific evidence to prove.
0: We're not doing science. We're doing art this week. People
1: who <laughs> listen to this podcast make babies. That is not what science is. At a higher rate than any were, other podcast. They're going
0: to march for science against you.
1: <laughs> but here's what I'm saying We gave the, the, the Hallelujah, anyway, yes. book, which is brilliant. Because Very good. why? Anne Lamont, brilliant. Yes. yes. Okay. But what happened was say that bump, Zoom, New York Times. New York Times bestseller list. You're welcome, everybody.
0: Everybody is going to their smartphone currently. <laughs> absolutely.
3: Here we, are,
1: we have to look up classiness. We don't. Ha- we don't know anything about it. <laughs> Alexa, show me classy. <laughs> this <laughs> emergency
3: right. reminds me of sensation and moral action in the works of Thomas Hardy. You're welcome. No, it
0: Absolutely does not. <laughs> There's nothing hardian about this podcast now or ever sir.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we we suck at class, I got to be honest. That's yeah, it's just, not going great. It's uh you know, I think I think Glenn was right. It it is like we got a bunch of icing and we got a cow patty. That's right. We're trying to bring them together. But yeah, uh, it's that, just
0: not happening. That don't
1: make it no wedding but cake.
0: here here's the thing. And you're right, clearly, obviously <laughs> it, it's it, the the evidence lies before us. I I thought we had a shot. All right. We're, we are, you wouldn't think it to know, on this show, where we basically jump around like a bunch of monkeys clanging cymbals. Yes. Um, it's, we're a well-read group of people.
3: Sure. sure. From Homer to Garcia Marquez. No. Similar to the work of both Ulysses and Hamlet. No. <laughs> no. Really, Jed? <laughs> And I think you mean the works, works. Ulysses and Hamlet, not the works of because
0: those are books and not people. That's uh, a very
3: deconstructionist thing for you to say, Matthew. I don't know that it is. (laughs) I think, if
0: anything, agree to be disfluent. Well, that
3: sure is. Well you don't want
0: to be you don't want to be too disfluent. You want to drink your eight glasses of water a day.
1: We said we were gonna keep this classy. Yeah. I mean to be disfluent. I mean that's I I uh, went there, y'all. Literary sense? burn. That's true. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying is, we are the people, you, the exact people, you do not want to invite to your classy garden party. That's, no. That is that's true. So, we will ruin, we ruin every party yeah. we go to, and the reason why is we think- Because we're trying to ruin it. Well, yeah, we that. think that's funny. Yeah. That abuses us. That's not always why we ruin parties.
3: I sometimes ruin parties without meaning to. Right, That's right. Yeah.
0: One one of the reasons that I thought we may get away with some literary classiness is I figured at least Jed would remember quotes from movies that have uh, from books that have been adapted into movies. Yeah, because Jed remembers movie quotes. That no. is true. We That's recently right. told this story and we mistakenly th- said we couldn't tell the details of one. Yeah, because we were remembering the wrong story. Right, Jed, would you like to share with the people? Is, is this the uh, Christmas party?
3: I you're... believe it is. Okay, so. The thing is, I have—I'm um, not a terribly literate person, but I do like the motion pictures, right? Because you know, you can have like explosions, right? Um, but it was explained to me at one point: you got to have a thin veneer of story, a candy shell, if mm. you will, to tie one explosion to another. Right. Otherwise, sure. it's just a montage of explosions.
1: You, so. you gotta—you gotta have a story arc. It's a very—that's a very pre-Michael
0: Bay. Idea of cinema. Yeah. yeah. Your character development. Sure. Absolutely. Beginning, getting <laughs> middle and explosion.
1: Yeah. Sure.
3: Yeah. Right. So, Hero's journey. You know, so I'm at a, I'm at, we've been invited, which was a mistake, to a fancy Christmas party. By with, we, you mean you and Glenn. Yeah. We were invited. That was not a good idea. And, Parable um, idea. Don't do that. Um, I, I was working, uh, this is the most pretentious thing I've ever said. I was working on a screenplay at the time. And, um, I meet a guy at the party who is a pharmacist. And so I, there i had a bunch of questions
1: research
0: right. research the best fiction is rooted in reality right it's also joseph worth... conrad went to africa Glenn. Uh,
1: this one, this what one i'm saying is it also should be noted we are the worst people on small talk. Yeah. Oh, Lord. We won't do like, hey, how's it going? How, what's the deal with your, your, your interests? What's the weirdest yeah. thing
0: you've ever seen at your job?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just immediately we're right in there. Yeah. You know? yeah. Anyway, so, go so we start talking and,
3: you know, I ask him a few questions and he's cool. Right, I mean, he's, right. you know, he's ready to, to spill the info. So I lean in and say, Chet, I got a question. How much synthetic adrenaline would it take to kill a man? And Chet, he spills the beans. He breaks the whole thing down for me. Right. And I'm pulling out my phone and kind of jotting out, okay, cool. So, like this. But you don't do that because that would be this other thing. And I kind of look up, and the room is dead silent.
1: Because you did not tell them this was for a screenplay.
0: <laughs> also, Jed did not have this conversation in a quiet corner with just his pharmacist friend whose trust he had earned. That's right. He yeah. decided just in the middle of this dinner party, <laughs> let's get in
1: it. The, I, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one more very quick one in the exact same vein. Sure. Uh, Jed and I are at the the least classy swap meet you've yes. ever seen in your life. Yeah, the, the swaparama. Yeah, the swaparama. <laughs> now, it, it, if it was classy, it'd be the
3: swaparama. No, yeah. this is the swaparama. Swapperama. I'm making. I'm making a movie. I need a knockoff
1: Rolex. He needs a knockoff Rolex. So we're gonna go in there and find us a Folex. So the, there's a guy there, and he's got a whole big thing of every kind of you know, fake uh, sure. watch. You could, you could. Your Raylexes, you, your Omugas, the, your Fobatos. Absolutely. <laughs> this is, and this is our, this is our world. These are our sure. people. We, yeah. we, uh, this is what we know how to buy. Myself up. a churro and a fake Rolex, and I'm off to the races. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> a two for one, one we were deal on. going. Buy a churro, get your Rolex. <laughs> this, this, this is the, this is the world that we live in. Okay, yeah. so. uh, uh, Jet picks him out a, a really nice fake Rolex. I think it was like three dollars. Yeah, sure. He puts literally, it on, he, yeah, and he puts it on his arm. Steal it twice the price. He's he's like that, you know. He wants to see it. Just has to look good enough to be sure. seem real on camera, you know. So he's putting it on and he's looking at it and he's looking down at it. Well, he doesn't want to just see if it looks good. He wants to see if it looks good.
0: In a very particular context.
1: That's right. the 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 uh, the, the context of this movie is. let's see
0: if it was true to the character. Th- yeah, the so character. So he turns to Glenn
1: the, and the, asks. The ca- <laughs> well, understand, he didn't turn to me and ask <laughs> because I had wandered away. Someone else, a complete stranger, had wandered up the next to Jed. Yeah. <laughs> Jed, yeah. thinking it was me shows the watch to the stranger without looking up to see who it is, and he says... Is this in your mind, is this the kind of watch a hitman would wear? Yeah. <laughs> and that dude fled the scene faster than I've ever seen anyone get out of that place.
0: Yeah. Well, can you imagine a more terrifying thing than coming across in your daily life a hitman? Yeah. That's hardcore. That's yeah. that's literary in and of itself. It gets right. gets swept up into a world you never knew. Right. And now it's you know, it's it's all Ian Fleming and you gotta do a whole thing. But Cheap hitman. Cheap hitman. <laughs> Just right. starting out hitman. <laughs> right, right. You know right. a young newcomer with everything to prove
3: that. Exactly
1: yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we've passed it up.
3: I nope. pretty yeah, literary. Right.
1: Absolutely not. Feels like uh well something happened there. Yeah. Well, well
0: that's almost true.
1: You know? Uh I, we we get you know what we got is we got a really good uh, simile uh, metaphor type thing. You know we sure did with the with the cow pie thing. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty literary right there. Yeah, it's like a what you call a word picture. It is. <laughs> it's one of them word pictures.
3: So I love those. That's yeah, a,
1: that's a little bonus for you people at home. You're welcome. So in that case,
0: I declare emergency off. Even though we never declared an emergency in the first place, wow. non linear storytelling literary boom. That's Nicely done, okay, dude. Okay, I'll buy that. I just joined a disjointed narrative. Yeah. And it was horrible. So, you <laughs> it know. It was
1: like I was just watching Pulp Fiction a Quentin now. Tarantino
0: emergency. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad the segment's over after before Jed said that. Yeah. So, uh, as I hear, dear listener, if you're a first-time listener, if you just saw Anne Lamott in the, uh, in the iTunes store or saw this on the social media and thought, I'd like to hear what she has to say and made the horrific mistake of listening to this opening segment, uh, we're glad you're still here, if you are, even though the odds are not high. we like to make sure you know that we do other things, things we try at, yeah. things that we have to present with a sheer, a, pro- a sheen of professionalism. Mm. intact the the podcast is not that nope no the podcast is uh free for all end of a end of a long sunday for all of us uh lee's been up since some ungodly hour he's been working with the children he's doing the church thing i i was at jail glenn and jed have been working very hard we've all had things to do we're a little low on editing on energy that's but right. we do other things. We, yeah. have a, we have a wonderful bridge service every Tuesday we, we work at. We, we help the people. We get them housed. We get them jobs. And one of the ways we fund that is another thing we work hard on, mm. and that's Bridgebox. Oh. Bridgebox is a monthly subscription media service for only $8 a month. You get songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff based around a topic. We're just rounding out April where our topic was, what does God want me to do with my money? Fantastic topic. We're going to head into May where the topic is, Jed... How do I rest in a nonstop world? Fantastic topic. Again, you're hearing sermons from Glenn and myself and songs that Lee and Jed and our friend Pete put together and the ever mysterious Poolhouse guru, mm. who we'll hear from at the end of this episode. Uh, only $8 a month. If, you want, if you're interested, if you want to check it out, missionusa.com slash bridgebox, all one word. And if you check that website out, even if you don't sign up, you can get a lot of free downloads to take with yourself. Now, we're going to move on to our first question. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, and I'll give you the addresses where you can get touch with us. First question comes in anonymously, and it says... I consider myself to be a Christian, but I really struggle with my spirituality and that reflects every other area of my life. I'm full of insecurities and fears that were instilled in me when I was really young. I'm constantly judging and feeling sorry for myself. I can't get myself to pray or read the Bible most days. I go to church every Sunday and I feel connected for a few minutes, but it's never consistent. How do I break the cycle? Fantastic question. Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off.
2: I'd love to. Uh, Thanks for writing this in. This is a it's a really cool question. One of the things that, <clears throat> that we talk about when, uh, when we see this idea of, I- I'm stuck in a rut of, you know, I- I'm trying to do this Christian thing, but I- I'm not getting, you know, getting any traction anywhere. I'm feeling certain things over and over and over again. They're not consistent with the things that I believe. I feel a little connection, but it doesn't stick. This is a, by the way, this is a common thread, okay? This is something that a lot of folks feel. You're not alone in this kind of deal. And one of the things that we constantly try to talk to folks who are in this situation about is changing the channel, um, changing the channel off of these same old feelings, changing the channel off of just yourself. And, and some of these other brothers may talk about this concept of changing the channel off of the things that you're feeling by getting outside of your own world, by serving somebody else. But one of the ways that you can change the channel off of what this, this kind of cycle of these same emotions over and over again is to change the channel off of the moment that you're stuck in by asking a very powerful question that not a lot of folks ask when they're stuck, which is, what's next? Now what? Okay, I feel these things, but what what comes next? Um, Maybe I've had a rough morning. Well, that doesn't have to dictate the rest of my day. So what can the rest of my day be like? Maybe I had a a tough conversation with a friend. Maybe I've been feeling down this afternoon. Okay, but what's next for me this evening? Where can I go find something different, something new, something fresh? One of the things about our faith is our faith is always about forgetting what lies behind, uh, straining toward what is ahead. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Our faith is about hope, hope that Mm -hmm. God has something better for us, something better for us than where we were. He has forgiveness for us. He has grace for us. And the cool thing about hope and forgiveness and grace in the future is that you don't have to stay stuck. And so one of the things that I would encourage you to do is, is to ask this very powerful question, now what? Or what's next? Um, w- with God's promises, with God's help, with with the hope that he gives and his forgiveness and everything, that's a, that's a really powerful way for you to change the channel off of the way that you're feeling. I know for, <clears throat> for me, one of the ways that that I used to get stuck in this is like if Christy and I would, my wife Christy and I would would be, um, you know, if we'd have a tough conversation, and, and I would really get the sense that you know I I had re- I'd really messed this up. I, I'd really, I'd really kind of stepped in it, and I felt like a jerk, and you know, and and all this kind of deal, and you know, and we'd kind of work through it. And you know, uh, I, you know, we'd say the words that we needed to say. At you know, I'd ask Christy to forgive me, or you know, whatever whatever the thing was. And she would, and she's ready to move on. And then I, but I could feel myself still wanting to just be sad about it. You know, just kind of wanting to be like like Eeyore, just like I'm just down and I just suck, and so I'm mm-hmm. just gonna be sad for the rest of eternity because I was kind of a jerk just now, and. And there've been a couple of times where a pattern like that would happen and she would help me by just saying like, "Hey dude, snap out of it. Like, we're we're past that now. I I've yeah, you, you know, you said a jerky thing. I've forgiven it. I'm ready to move on. I'd like you to move on as well. You know, maybe we had a rough moment back there, but let's have a new moment now." Mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that's so great about about our faith is that because of because of the hope of forgiveness because of the goodness of god because of whatever your past was whatever this morning was you can ask okay what's next now what and we can move on into something different and that's really a powerful question to help you change the channel off of uh, uh, of that moment and those emotions that you that you're sitting in Whatever that morning was like, or whatever that afternoon was like, or whatever that day was like, just ask, what's next? Now what? Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing and not necessarily have to bring, drag all of that with you into each successive deal.
0: It's a really great point. I think that's a the perfect place to start this. Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick up there. I think Lee did a great job covering the idea of looking forward, of looking to the future, yeah. and that's, that's critical to this. There is a, another component of this might be, you know, our, our friend mentions, I'm full of things that were instilled on me when I was really young Yeah, and had some issues here. So sometimes a big part of breaking a cycle is exactly as Lee's telling that story. You know, if you're in a fight with your significant other, on some level, we have to identify what, the, what happened here right? before we could actually move on and not do yes. that again. So what do we do with looking back? How do we do that in a healthy way?
1: Well, I think uh, as as Lee was saying, this is actually very common. Uh, oh th- yeah. th- this sort of thing, and a huge amount of the time, uh, as Lee is also suggesting, we need to get a hold of newness. What's mm-hmm. the new thing that we need to be on? Um, uh, in terms of the roots of it, uh, I would say uh, the 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 most frequent culprit on this exact kind of, I'm you know I'm feeling. As, as this person is saying, I feel insecurity. Uh, I'm judging uh, myself, feeling sorry for myself. Uh, yeah, at the same time, it's hard to pray, hard to read the Bible. This, to me, uh, has the feel of this is not a relationship that mm-hmm. is healthy and functioning right. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting input from the Lord. The Lord isn't having a good say so. And what that generally points to is much of my Faith and much of my uh to the extent I have one a relationship with God much of that is built on somebody else's foundation mm-hmm. you know I'm raised in my parents' church or i I hear this kind of thing from pastors kids you know i I was I was my my dad was always the Christian leader in the house and really amazing and knew all this stuff and I always felt kind of inadequate and and I wanted to question things but i wasn't fully free to question them and it was never really my decision but I do believe and I do know that this is the truth but uh eh, you know mm-hmm. so that it's really about taking all of this and building it on your own foundation to say yeah. I need to have my own walk with the lord I need to uh, come out separate from a family uh, uh you know faith that my family has or that the faith that my family's given me and start completely fr- from scratch on your own to build up your your own relationship with God and let it be unique and different and weird. And maybe the same thing with a church that that you might be going to. You know that if you were, if you were raised in a certain church or again your family brought you to a church, that might have been great for getting you from A to B and uh yet you're ch- you've changed and your needs may be a bit different and a different church might really meet those mm-hmm. needs a whole lot better. The, 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 I hear this kind of thing most often from people who say, "My, you know, my dad was involved in a church and he's great. I went to a church and it's great, but I am just not getting it figured out." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a it's not a a, a vibe of uh, these people are jerks or something like that. But in a way, that kind of hides the fact that the needs aren't being met that you're not connecting the dots, that this isn't flowing and functional. So it's not about getting in touch with, well, this sucks, and whatever, whatever. It's about saying, this got me from A to B, but I need to to strike off in a new direction here.
0: Absolutely right. And it, sh- it should be said, everything Glenn said there is spot on. There are also, obviously, situations where uh, either the parents or the church were not good. Yeah, right. And that is— has some different emotional components. We've we've dealt with that a lot on the show. If you want to write in specifically about that, we have to do that. But uh, all the all the advice you've heard so far is still good. We still need to worry about what's going on going forward and deal with the things in the past that we have in order to get over them. And Jen, I'm wondering if you can uh, close this out by let's let's reconcile those two things in a certain practicality. Okay. So if i wake up tomorrow and decide had either good or bad, just either good and not totally getting it done or bad and hurtful past experiences, but I want a new thing. Yeah. And on one hand, it sounds like those are diametrically opposed. I need to learn the past and the future. But those really work in concert, I think. Sure. And how do we do that as part of, I've let go of this thing, but I'm moving on to this thing.
3: Well, I think that we want to be clear uh, about two kind of big picture questions at the same time. And those questions are, what are the new things that I want to take a hold of? And what are the old things that I want to let go of?
0: Mm -hmm. So
3: Let's actually start for a second by looking at the things that you want to let go of, right? Because those are, are oftentimes the, the things that that uh, hurt us the most. So there are some pretty easy options. You know, in, in the United States, there is a clear sense of expectation uh, in many churches. There's Jesus and a certain re- political repor- uh, party, and those go together. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, if you're going to be in this church, you've got to be on both of them so um, part of moving forward means no i 'm not doing that anymore nope. uh, I'm, I'm not i'm not commingling my faith and, and my politics um, you know another might be that um you know Christianity and christian music uh it's just it's a given we you know we we do both in this house Woo. you know and i'm going to decide no i don't I, it's just not my jam i'm not going to do that to to go deeper um, and in most cases be a very helpful thing is to decide. I've had enough of guilt. Anything yeah. that comes right. from a guilt direction, anything that is on that frequency, I'm just not doing that anymore. Right. Um, I'm, if, I, if I try your church and there's something in there where it's you trying to make me feel guilty, I'm leaving. That's it. I'm just, I'm just not doing that anymore. So we want to be clear about the things that we're letting go of. And again, guilt and shame and fear should definitely be on that list. We also want to be clear, Matt, to your point, practically speaking, what are the things that we are adding in? And if you've never had it in your uh, faith before, something I'd really encourage you to add in is to find practical ways that you can serve other people in need. Um, It doesn't need to be glitzy. It doesn't need to sound super hardcore, just there's somebody going through a hard time. And it's not that I'm swooping in there to tell them that turn that frown upside down because Jesus mm-hmm. it's I'm doing something to lighten their load mm-hmm. um if that's the lonely kid at lunch uh I'll go sit with him and eat my lunch with him. uh He doesn't you know have to be as alone anymore That's uh, spooning out soup at the homeless shelter i can I can go do that there's a million ways to do that there's a million things that you can do, but I think you'll you'll find that if we let go of some guilt and shame and fear and we add in practical service to people who are hurting, we'll have we'll be well on our way to not only transforming our faith, but as Glenn said, making it our own. Making it something truly new and truly unique and finding a new vibrancy in it. Mm-hmm. Something that we, we feel good about and we feel energized by. We want that for you. So we really want to encourage you to take some steps in that direction.
0: That's all really fantastic stuff. And one of the things that Jed focused on there, which I think is absolutely the right way to cap this off is focus on the new things you want and the old things you want to leave behind. Yeah. It's an important point, and I think uh, everyone on the show would agree with me that when people get in trouble on this, it's because they are overly focused on the things from their past that weren't that bad that they want to keep. Yeah, As as Glenn is saying, that particularly happens in issues where nothing really wrong happened. Mm-hmm. But even if something wrong did happen, we we find ourselves, especially— does in Chicago, but lead just as much with young people, find ourselves talking to people who have been through a bad or dysfunctional or just not getting into their situation saying, well, why don't we try this new thing? And all of a sudden, the person who whose life this is wrecking and who feels really sad, their whole – mission in life, for some reason, is to defend the thing that's not working for them.
1: Yep. Right. And well,
0: right. mom was great, and pastor was great, right. and I'm not saying that, and they right, told me this right, thing right, really right. help. Exactly. And it's not even that we're discounting that, but if we're going to make a change, we need to focus on the things that should change. Yeah. Right, right. That, that other stuff will come, if it's healthy, it'll come on its own. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. positive things will bubble up because they are part of moving on to doing something healthy. And we can get moving. All right. We're now going to take you to our interview with best-selling, I will have you know, Christian author Anne Lamott. This, her book is Hallelujah Anyway. It's, uh, the, tit- the subtitle is Rediscovering Mercy. It's a very cool chat about her story and kind of her life now, the way she sees the church. There's a lot of good talk about uh, what the church can learn from addiction recovery, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, the idea of mercy and what that means for where we are now, both personally, spiritually, nationally, and politically— um, and it's, it's all a lot of really good stuff. So we're going to take that interview right now. Okay? Um, well, I'd love to uh, start with, it's probably a question you've been answering a lot on the book tour, but why mercy as a subject for a book?
4: Um, it just came to me. I didn't really mean to um, write a book on mercy. I was just... Um, thinking a lot about it because it seemed to um, all of a sudden be the solution to um, a lot of the stuff that was going on in my own life and definitely in the world and in the political life. So I just started thinking about it more and more, and then I was off and running.
0: So when you go to approach a subject like that, you kind of described it there, did you learn a lot about mercy along the way, or did it kind of end up about where you thought it would?
4: Um, that's a good question. Um, we all kind of know what mercy means, and what being merciful means, but um, I got to spend a lot of time in um, mercy stories, which is really fun, both in the Bible and in the Hasidic tradition and in that wonderful story about the hunger project in Senegal. And so um, I think what happened was that my sense of mercy just became more um, uh, spacious and less sort of strictly by the books mercy or by any sort of definition or anything like that. So I just was seeing all the ways in which mercy has been extended to me, like the long story about getting sober towards the end, and, and that that's mercy for someone to pour themselves into your um, recovery. And um, and just stories along the way, all of a sudden I thought, oh, that's what mercy means.
0: You you do talk a lot about recovery in the book, and you have in other works you've done. with The work we do with addicts in Chicago, we're often struck by how much better the church might be if it looked a lot more like an AA meeting. You, uh-huh. you have this wonderful yeah. line about the prodigal the about the good Samaritan story that uh, all addicts start out as the guy in the ditch. Yeah. It's true. Oh, uh, what about though that process of recovery and the things you've learned from the people along the way have you tried to put into the rest of your your life as a Christian?
4: Oh, oh, it's absolutely everything I've learned about recovery really forms the basis of my life. You know, the Emphasis on service and gratitude, and uh, I mean, let alone not drinking or using one day at a time. But sure. the um, those primary um, values in the recovery community of service and gratitude are um, really infused every aspect of my life.
0: you talk. Uh, I think another overlap between people I've known in recovery and what you're talking about in the discovery of mercy is. A self focus but a different kind of self focus if that makes yes. sense yes you talk absolutely you talk about that you talk a lot about kind of being healed of uh egocentrism, but as you talk about you know recovery, you have to kind of focus on yourself what 's the difference to you there
4: well there's sort of there's narcissism, which is fixation and adoration of oneself and the conviction one is right, and you no one I know that clings to that has ever gotten in states sober. So much of, of um, recovery has to do with being willing to have this damaged ego stripped down and get back to the essential um, parts of our heart and soul and spirit. And um, and so there's a way that um, people always say recovery is selfish. And um, what that means is that if you're just uh, if you're a codependent as so many women are, and you're just pouring all your life force um, and best stuff into other people, which is very, very um, common, Mm -hmm. Um, you're going empty and you're just getting tense and, and, um, you know, gritchy, like a colicky baby, because you're you're used up. And so certainly in Al-Anon traditions, it's um the recovery is about stopping the train of this kind of mindless giving, this codependent giving out of low self esteem and the need to feel a value because pe- people um owe you um, sure. is um, the sense of this emotional acre that we each have where you um tend to your own emotional acre and you keep it um, you keep it hydrated and um, you know, beautiful and cleaned up. You make your bed. It's a really big part of recovery is making your bed from now on. Mm-hmm. And you um, have food around that's healthy and doesn't make you toxic. And you um, make sure that you're um, doing what it takes to have serenity and um, prayer and meditation and, and, and rooms, groups. And, um, and then you have that to share from a place of abundance instead of a place of bad self-esteem and neuroses. So um, no, someone with a huge ego in AA, first of all, may somehow stay sober. I mean, I have a huge ego, <laughs> but the, it, you just have to allow those incredible people to um, help you. You know, like I said in the book, they taught me, they, um, re- they took me from being a big shot and Help me grow up into being a, um, a servant, mm. and um, and that's where happiness is. And you know, all the sober people I know have um, um, become people of service, because mostly if you're not, if you're really in it for yourself in a sort of narcissistic way, you probably won't get sober. So um, yeah, but then self care is really so radical, and really the beginning of of being a person of mercy in the world
0: yeah you draw a fascinating parallel i'd love to get you to talk about um you you kind of talk about in the same way we're talking about here about how children start out merciful and things happen i i think the the wonderful phrase you use is that your mercy started to leach out of you when you Uh were five and tell an amazing story about uh, an incident with your father and hearing overhearing mm-hmm. something awful and dealing with mm-hmm. that. But is it? I wonder if that's the same thing with— uh, the, it's not that anybody starts out an addict. There are things that rob you of your ability well, to stay we do. Maybe, Well, maybe
4: we do. Well, certainly we're predisposed.
0: Absolutely, but in the sense of managing triggers, like you're saying, and yeah, staying in yeah, a place yeah. of serenity. But what are those things you see that rob us of our mercy in that same way?
4: Well, I just think the culture does and Mm. and our parents accidentally or inadvertently did and all of those trying to get us to to be A students and to be really friendly and warm and and really well loved but also to do better than everybody else. So from a very early age, a lot of us felt that pressure of of success and achievement and we were told and taught and came to believe that there was something outside of us that we could achieve that would help us feel really great about ourselves. And I think all alcoholics and addicts, certainly me discovered that you could have um, everything falling into place on the outside. And um, you know, when I got sober, I had three books published. I'd been a tennis champion as a teenager. I'd gotten a great scholarship to college and blah, blah. And it all just made me crazier and crazier. But what Mm. worked was alcohol and drugs and if I, you know, after those first two or three beers or, or drinks, I felt pretty great. And um, I've heard that um, someone else said this somewhere, that sobriety gives us what alcohol promised.
2: Uh-huh. And, you
4: know, the promise of drugs and alcohol is that you're going to be kind of a superhuman. I mean, I loved cocaine and meth, and I did feel really superior and super powered. Um, and... um just got sicker and crazier and more damaged on the inside and more soul sick. And then it was finally when I stopped, I didn't write for a year after I got sober, and um, I just stopped, and I just started to look at the damage I'd caused to everyone I'd ever loved and to myself, and and I looked at how crazily I was living, you know, every single night. And um, And it... It wasn't for a long time that I made that connection to how sobriety and the people in recovery and therapists who work with people like me were helping us be restored to who we had once been, which mm-hmm. was really like children, loving and, you know, still pains in the neck sometimes because we're human, but, you know, full of wonder and, and playful and, and um, just generous. And instead of putting all this armor on and creating a persona which you are encouraged to do by teachers and parents, so um I just realized that this stuff was a part of me that you can't actually get rid of it, but I put it away in a drawer and um and that the point of the book was to help me and 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 anyone who might read it find their way to that drawer, yeah, and reopen it, get that stuff back out.
0: And it, the book bu- the book does it so beautifully. But one of the things you I've was just blown away by how honest and true it was in the book was you talked about how mercy and I, I from knowing people in the process I know surprise is the same thing uh, can't redeem your your past. I, you, the example you used I think is powerful to a lot of young people. Listen to our show is um, it's not going to make your parents be unmessed up that you grow in these ways and. Right. Show mercy. Yeah, you're to still going to have
4: had, you're still going to have had the childhood you had, and you're still going to have parents who maybe shouldn't have had children, <laughs> should have had a kennel or raised orchids. But um, the thing is that you do the healing around the grudge and the and the constant pain and need to cover up that pain, or the need to get involved with. Um, with sick people that will remind you of the mother and father um, you had, so that you can try to fix it this time and get it to come out right. And um so, you know, it can help you break the trance of recreating scary childhoods because you realize it's what it was and it brought you to the miracle of a sober community and, um, and, and, you know, that old line you hear in recovery that for, uh, forgiveness is giving up on having had a better childhood. Mm. You had the childhood you had, and it, in many cases, was very scary, very strange, and you got pretzelized. And, um, um, and now you get a chance to take all that stuff out of the backpack that you, um, carried all these years, whether it's 20 years or 50 years or whatever, so that people would like you more, so that you could self-medicate the pain you experience as a very strange child or um, feeling isolated all your life or, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a, a powerful idea that it's not going to undo all that, but you can spin that into no. being there for other people and being of service, the way you put it in the way recovery puts it. As one last question. I, I'd love to yeah. Love to uh, get you. There's a great line, it comes very early in the book, that says, it's talking about mercies, the catch is that there's no catch. This is so subversive. Yeah. I love yeah. that idea, because I like anything in Christianity that's subversive, because it feels like I'm getting one by yeah. church people. But uh-huh. you, you mentioned, you know, the culture and the, the politics and all the, the stuff that's going on right now. I feel like subversion is a is maybe a bigger topic among Christians than it's been in a while. What about mercy? Well, there's certainly
4: a lot of um, rage about the, what the so-called Christian mainstream has stolen away from believers mm. and um, people who love Jesus and are trying to follow Him. And, um, and it's just become such a... Um, a debacle, you know, it's become just such a travesty of, um, of goodness and, and fairness and forgiveness and, and sacrifice and, um, you know, living in union with God and our brothers and sisters and, and the world. And, um, so I think, you know, a lot, all I can say is that a lot of people that come to my readings ran screaming from, um, Christian households that were so abusive mm. or so conditional. Like, I'll tell you this one thing, then I have to go. Sure. I, right before I left, I was talking to another sober woman and um, I, uh, who'd grown up in a very, very devout Christian family. And she used to say to her mother when she was bad, Mommy, you still love me, don't you? And the mother would say, Not when you're bad.
0: Oh, my gosh.
4: And, you know, in recovery, so amazing. You tell other people... And we sometimes we do openly at meetings, and sometimes we tell one person, a mentor, or someone that um, something we've done or a pattern of stuff we've done. And a hundred percent of the time, I've been so over thirty years, and I can say for a hundred percent of the time, they say, "You know what? Me too. Mm. We've all done the same stuff.
0: Absolutely. We're
4: all, you know, we our details are different. I didn't do that exactly, but I know exactly what you're talking about." And um, and then they say, w- what was your part in it? Or what was, you know, is there is there somewhere in that confession, as it were, that you can begin to find some forgiveness for yourself for having behaved that way? Because maybe our parents didn't. The culture didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Not with women, certainly. And I don't quite know what it's like with men, but with the women it was unforgiving. and um, And so... It's just like there's no catch, but that we want other sober people to help us get other people sober <laughs> and to help heal the world and, to, and, and our families and, and our communities and, and, um, and to give hope to people who never had any or who only had this kind of toxic hope of the fantasy of the perfect mate or making it big or the American dream. And because none of those things ever, ever, ever worked. But this path that you and I are on of recovery did, does, and mm. will, always does. I mean, that's the catch. It's like, it's funny. Cause it's like, do you want that? Do you want redemption? Do you want to um, have like really um, pretty steady self-esteem and feel a value in the world? And, you know, and laugh um, off and on every single day with people who get you, or do you just want to stay the way you are? And all of us who go, Well, can I get back to you on that? You know, <laughs> and and it's like, Great cra- work because we're a little crazy. But that's why I've always heard that the reason the system works is because we're not all crazy on the same day.
0: <laughs> that's so, anyway, fantastic. And thank, thank you, you for so doing much. This.
4: And I wish all of you just God's blessings and keep. On doing what you're doing, it's so profound. And and thank you for doing this. And and I'll talk to you again.
0: Absolutely. We want to thank Ann Lamott. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate her taking the time in the middle of her book tour. A lot of great stuff in that interview. If check if you're on the lookout at the Bridge Blog, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, and all our social media stuff this week. We're going to be posting, uh quotes and lots of good. Stuff out of that, I can personally very much recommend the book. I um, I read it one afternoon. It's it's easy to read. It's it's not that long. It's a lot of very cool stories and reflection on the scripture and lots of great stuff. That's called Hallelujah. Anyway, you can get it wherever you buy books right now. We move on to our final question here. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr, and it says, "Hello there. I've been listening to your Say That podcast for a few years now, and I have a question about friendship compared to romantic relationships." When you guys discuss healthy relationships, you often mention the importance of serving one another and not being defensive and listening in conversations. You stress being empathetic and communicating, especially when you feel insecure and getting it all out on the table all the time. I guess I'm wondering what type of expectations I can put on friendships and what a godly relationship, what a godly friendship looks like, especially during a disagreement. Do we have to hold each other accountable as friends and work through our disagreements, or is that only for serious romantic relationships? It's a fantastic question, and Jed, why don't you kick us off?
3: Well, we appreciate you listening, and here's a question back to you. Why do you want casual friendships with people where drama is regularly popping off? Uh Uh-huh. Cause uh, I'm I'm blessed to have not only a, a large circle of people that I consider friends, but a, a varied circle. Um, you know, of uh, plenty of Christians that I'm friends with, and plenty of very non-Christians that I'm friends with. And um, I got to be honest, man, I don't uh, I don't get in arguments with hardly any of them, hardly ever. Uh. right. Because the funny thing is. I disagree with people on all kinds of stuff, but that's not the same as having an argument and a problem and drama. Right. You know, I mean, um, if, for example, my, my friends who aren't Christians, I disagree with them on a lot of stuff. Right. And and they know that. You know, right, you know right, it's, right, it's right. not like I'm, you know, I mean, they, they know I'm a Christian dude. They know I'm, I'm on that thing. But um, A, they're not really looking for me to tell them anything about that. Right. And B, perhaps most importantly, there's no functional reason for us to be having drama and an argument. Right. here, To, to give a little bit more context, the reason that we talk the way that we talk about serious romantic relationships, uh, e.g. marriage, is because this is a relationship where there is a clear goal. There is a shared purpose. There's a shared mission. Uh, the... A Christian marriage exists in order to serve God more effectively as a married team than either of you could separately. That's that's what defines a a Christian marriage. For that to happen, the team must function effectively. Uh, The team must must function as one. Um, In order for that to occur, you must handle conflict in a certain way. Um, there must be uh, humility, there must be a lack of defensiveness, a lack of insecurity, there must be good and open communication. But all that's in service of a purpose. All mm-hmm. that's because we need this team to function a certain way, we need this relationship to function a certain way so that the, the Lord's purposes can be done. I think it's worth asking, is there a driving reason why you would regularly need to have disagreement slash arguments with just friends or, again, is that just senseless drama? Right. Um, because if it's senseless drama, then not only is there not a reason for you to have anything to do with it, there's every reason for you to have nothing to do with it. Right. Um, yeah, like they're, they're, Yeah, like have different friends. Right. Um, in terms of an accountability partner, that can be a good thing. That can be a valuable thing. It's worth asking, has this person asked you to be their accountability partner? <laughs> uh Vice versa, have right. you asked them to be your accountability partner? Right. Or did we just assume because we're both Christian and we're friends, we'd take on that role? Because that's a bad assumption. Right. That's a good right. way to get punched. Right. Um, I think uh, one of the things that that we, that Christians can struggle with sometimes, which is kind of funny in a way, is we feel weird about having fair, uh, fairly shallow relationships in our lives. Like, mm-hmm. so, like, there must be something inherently wrong with that. There's not Mm-mm. nearly all relationships are fairly shallow right uh, It turns out actually um, you can't have all deep relationships no no one can they, right. It takes a certain amount of work and investment and emotional energy, so you run into a limit pretty quickly. you know I, I said I have a, a broad circle of friends, and that's true. I have a very small circle of close friends exactly. right. I have a very small circle of people that I, I really know them and, and they know me and whatnot. And that's actually going to be true for, for everybody. But that's the thing I'd, I'd encourage you as we get started this question to look at is uh, why, are we, why are we pursuing friendships where there appears to be a lot of drama for no particular reason? You know
0: what? What's what's
3: driving us to feel like we ought to do that or or we need to do that?
0: I think it's a really fantastic place to start that off. Lee, love to go to to you on this. As as Jed's pointing out, there are one of the differences between uh, dating relationships and just friendships is friendships can kind of land in a certain place and just say they're in stasis forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've off alf- we often talk about how there's a at a certain point with a romantic relationship, you got a fisher cut bay. Right go all the way or it needs to you know, be pruned off. But it's super not the case with friendships. Some yeah. of them can be very deep. Some them can be super casual. And a lot of them are going to fall in between where there's a level of depth we can go to and we can't really go beyond that. But I guess what we're looking at here is a, a process of discovering where that line is and not necessarily pushing it. So what does that process actually look like?
2: Well, I think that... It, it, I, I do think it's weird with friendships just because... Uh, like for one thing I was thinking about this is that there's not, you know, there's not a ceremony where, you know, like with, when you get married, you invite all your friends to a place and we sign a paper and there's a whole thing. And, you know, we took pictures and people signed a guest book and we, 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 we set this thing up and we, you know, kind of, we wrote it in stone. This is the day that it started. We have an actual anniversary, you know, it's not really that, that way with friendships, you know, you kind of, you kind of go into them, uh, you kind of find your way into what's this relationship going to be. I will say if you're having to do this a lot, I, re- I really love the direction that Jed took this in. If, if, if this is a, if this is a thinly veiled way to say, um, some of my friends are jerks or I'm being a jerk, then, um, you know, then it's time to, to say, Hey, I'm being a jerk. I'm sorry about that. Um, yep. you know, and, and, and it's okay to, by the way, it's okay to find out that you're a jerk. Sure, um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, w- we all can be at times, and and you know, it, and relationships like this do change after a while. I mean, if you started becoming friends with somebody when you were in the third grade, then by the time you're in your mid twenties, that's going to be a completely different thing. Even if you're still very close, you are completely different people. You care about completely different stuff. You have totally different emotional resources to work with and some of those friendships may fade some may strengthen i love what jed said about the very small circle of close people that you are hoping will will be the the people that you know that you spend time with that you put energy into that that are empathetic that get you that understand you that you can share your struggles with that will pray for you and stuff like that but then again all of those things are things that you talk about you ask someone to pray for you you yeah. you you, you tell someone your struggles and you say i need somebody just to listen to me right now would you could could i just talk to you about what i'm going through in a way even though we don't have this big ceremony these are you find your way into these relationships and they change shape by by talking about this stuff exactly as jed said if if somebody's holding you accountable did you ask them to do that that's a that is a relationship that you can set up and try out and by the way if you don't have something like that you can try people on by by uh by kind of in a way of vetting them like i'm going to yep. let you in on on a little thing in my life and i'm going to see how you handle that you know if yep. i if if i if i share a struggle with you and you hit me with a shotgun blast of shame well then now i know i'm not talking to you anymore yeah um we're not doing that any longer um but if you handle that well and you're a person and you know or if we have a little disagreement and stuff like that one of the things that i see in working with young people is um that there's there's a lot of you know like oh yeah w- well we're you know we're in a fight this week these friends we had a big blow up at the deal and then you find out it was about you know a playstation game or something and it's just like dude stop being children stop being yep. jerks and be cool you know i mean and, and if if you have that kind of stuff going on it's time to grow up and 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 handle your business like grown folks but um, as you move through these things, you develop these relationships as you talk about what your expectations are, what you're hoping for, and and you find the compatibility when you say, I, I, I need somebody to pray for me, or I need somebody to listen to this. And that person says, I'd love to listen. I'd love to help you with that. I'd love to serve you in that way. And that's how you find who your tight circle is that you can walk through your problems with. And just as Jed said, everybody else are the kind of folks that you like hey, how's things going today? It's going great. How about you? Things are going great. All right, see you later. You know, enjoy your morning. You know, and there's nothing whatsoever wrong with that. Yep. And I think that is hard for us as Christians to believe that, but it, but it is also super, super true.
0: Absolutely right. There's, uh, Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick up with this. There's a, one aspect of this I think we haven't particularly covered, which both... Uh, Lee and Jed both put their finger on exactly which is there's a certain amount of misbehavior that you mm-hmm. just don't want to be around for. It's, yeah, and that's very true, and needs to be said, especially as kind of if you, when you're going from especially if you're going from that as we talked about many times. I was in a school style situations where I was kind of friends with the people around me to a more right. adult friendship thing where you have a lot more choice over yeah you're around. But I think there's another aspect of this which is how to not be the one escalating. In the sense huh. that this person is asking, you know, okay, so there are if there are disagreements and you know uh, things I feel a little weird about in a romantic relationship, it would be imperative to get those out on the table. Right. Come hell or high water, because they have right. to get out; otherwise, it's going to kind of run out of the vine and die. I think another thing we're going to hear is, okay, as as Jack was saying, you know, I'm out for I'm out to dinner with friend A who I like and we're relatively close. we right. not. I'm like. Titus friend, we're pretty close. And they say a thing that I think is super not the way I see the world. If if we were married, this would be a timeout, stop everything. We must hash this out. Right. Is it okay to friendship? Just say, okay.
1: Well, yeah. I think uh, as, as these other two brothers were pointing out, there's a big difference between friend and buddy. Sure. It's really good and important to have a, a small and intense group of friends you're really devoted to that you have as, you know, as intimate and a, a, accountable type of relationship as you can get. Uh, and, and it's good for the rest of those people to be buddies, casual fun relationships. You hang out with them as soon as that's kind of a bummer, then you don't. And then <laughs> right. that's it. Uh, but what's the difference between the friendship and the buddy? What delineates that? And that is respect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was out to dinner uh, with a, a, a gentleman recently. He's uh, newly married, and he's talking about his wife. And he clearly he loves his wife. I mean, there's no question about it. And clearly, he wants to do better. And he's he's kind of lost in some of the details of stuff. Where they're both trying to kind of do the right thing, but man, they're just kind of missing each other and 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 pulling each other in opposite directions sometimes. And he's describing the situation and he went through a, a bunch of details and I I kinda sat back in my chair and I said, Do you respect your wife? And that was the longest, most pregnant pause there ever was. Not because he didn't, he did, and he said, Yes, I do. But it there was a long pause because he had never thought of it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You love her, and you think she's amazing. You want her to be your wife, and you want to have all the drama and the feelings and the things and the w- romance and whatever, whatever, whatever. But respect wasn't in there. If you respect someone, you deal with them differently, you know. And a big part of that difference is honesty. Yeah. So if I have a close and intimate relationship with somebody, whether it's a a, a real deep friendship or or a, a spouse or whatever it is, a family member, if 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 that's someone on my inner circle. And they say or do something I don't like, I have two choices. One, I can put up with that forever. And if I can, I probably will because who am I to, to, to try and micromanage your, your wacky behavior? The other option is, uh, you know, that's sort of one fork in the road, it's just put up with the other forever. The other fork in the road is do something about it. Okay. Let's say we go down the the, the road, we decide we we can't put up with this forever, we don't want to, we're now going to do something about it. If we go down that fork in the road, we come to another fork in the road. Down one fork in the road is, say something right now about Mm -hmm. that. The other is, let this build up and fester and escalate and tell everyone else but this person about it, and talk about it, and rehearse the anger, and go on and on, and on and on, and get upset, and try and, and play it out, and whatever, and then tell the person about it. In which case, as you're pointing out, that will be an escalation in that mm-hmm. sense. It's going to come out raw and unpleasant and whatever, whatever. And eventually, that's really going to hurt that relationship. Right. Now we're having to, trying to backtrack through, as, as Lee was talking about in the, in the other question, You know, uh, you know, trying to, repair feelings are, you know, geez, you know, I didn't know I was wounding you to this extent for heaven's sake. And, and man, I I wish I had figured this out sooner or you'd said something sooner and it becomes a a huge mess. Mm. But if you respect somebody, you say something right away. Like, Hey, you know, when you said that, that was kind of, let's not do that. You know, it's a small thing. It's a simple thing. It's an easy thing. Uh, but you know, if if that's in a more casual relationship, just a buddy, I might look at that and say, I don't want. To, I don't want. He's kind of a bummer, <laughs> and if he's a bummer, well, we yeah. can live without that then, and just move on and don't hang out with him. You know that kind of thing. So I think it's 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 really about uh, ha- making a commitment with yourself that. Uh, that you're prepared to live a much more honest life in that sense. That uh, I'm going to to recognize it's the lies and the secrets that are that are choking the life out of these relationships and keeping them from healthy. And that breeds a suspicion and mm-hmm. and you know does this person secretly resent and all that. If I tell you right away, hey, you know what? Maybe you know I don't think so on that. And that's kind of no big deal, but I'm just telling you now before it bothers me something. That actually builds a trust into that mm-hmm. relationship, uh-huh. and you can be closer off
3: of it. Absolutely. To give—everything uh, going Glenn is saying is absolutely spot on— to, to give uh, some flesh and bone to that, it might be worth taking a look at a couple of examples, because mm-hmm. uh, that, that might help flesh it out. So uh, if it's a body— um, and they, as Glenn said, you know, they you know, you get together and they want to tell you all their political opinions and they're right. all, they're all things you super don't agree with. Right. I think we all have that buddy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really an issue of proportion. Right. right. So if, you know, if we're going to meet up at Chili's and uh, Joe Bob wants to tell me all of his political opinions, I'm happy to listen to five minutes of that. And kind of roll right. my eyes and be like, "Okay, man. Well, what do you think the right. Cubs are going to do this year? Right. If right. he's willing to, you know, change channels to that point yeah. and talk about the Cubs, great, no problem. I, you know, is, yeah. you know, I don't really care what you think about politics. I just don't want to listen to it. Right. You know, I'm, right. I'm willing to grant you five minutes while I eat my chips and salsa. Right. Then, right. then we're that's moving right. on, right? And right. and so that's kind of a, a buddy style relationship. Mm-hmm. In a friendship, there are at least two categories that you should for sure be looking at. and I encourage you to think about. The first is is this something that is going to hurt this person and others if it right. goes unaddressed? Right. Right. So for example, um, uh, actually to, to use the, the uh, political thing as an example, um, I'm walking around with my bright red ball cap and white lettering on it. Um, cause that's just, you know, I'm super into that and I, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as a friend, you would say, Hey man, I'm not even telling you what to think, but that's going to cause you problems this in your life. This is the South here.
0: side of Chicago. Yeah. Right. If, if
3: you're advertising that, People are—they're really not going to like that. You—you you need to show some discretion and rein it in. Also, you know,
0: I can't hang out with you.
3: Also, I can't hang out with you. You know, I don't agree with you on that stuff. But I'm bringing it up because you're going to get yourself hurt. Right. Um, and I care about you. Need to not do yeah, that. The,
1: the message you send to the world needs to be yeah. thought through.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know. And right now, you're not—you're not thinking it through. That's right. Um, that's—that's that's the way to express that. Um, and again, love is what drives you to act in that moment. As Glenn's mm-hmm. saying, that it drives you to act quickly. Decisively, Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not about, you know, uh, I hate you and the things you stand for. It's just, I love you. I don't want to see you get hurt. The way you're going on this, you're going to cause yourself a problem. The other thing, um, kind of the other category of stuff, is something where I don't particularly like it. It may or may not cause them a problem. But here's the thing Christians have a problem with is admitting, I have a preference here and that's okay. Right. I You know, this isn't the world's biggest deal, but I just don't like it when you do that. Could right. you could you throttle back on that? Yeah, you know, e- even just a little bit. And Christians are very resistant to that because they don't like owning I have feelings.
1: Yes, yeah. and they they think there's a virtue in putting up with it, which there isn't. Exactly right. And they don't see the virtue, of the honesty, which which is a virtue.
3: Exactly you know? right. Exactly right. When we're when we're dealing with something where it's really more of a preference thing, you know, uh, um, you know, you I mean, very simple example, you know. Every time we meet up, you always want to go to Chili's. Hey, dude, I know you love- I hate that place. Right. It's, it's so loud, it's obnoxious, you know, you, you, I want to hang out with you, couldn't we not do that? Right. That's fun. Yeah. That's lovely. That's actually a lot more assertive than most Christians ever are about anything. <laughs> right. Um, but here's the funny thing is, if you will do that, the other person has a chance to push back and be like, but they got the 10 cent wing thing tonight, man. Right. right I don't right. want to miss out on the 10 cent wing, you say... Could we research together and find another place right. that offers ten cent wings? I'll,
1: I'll buy you wings somewhere else. I'll Wingstop buy- has thirty cent
0: wings. That's, I will pay the difference. Exactly. Right. Well, now, now we're off to the races. Yeah, now, yeah. now it's a, a
3: thing. But I think if you if you get in the habit of asking, you know, kind of those two key gut check questions: Is this person on a path to hurting themselves and others? In which case, right. something needs to be said here. Is this a preference of mine, and am I willing to have a broader discussion about how we can meet in the middle on my preference?
1: And just quickly on that, I think what you're saying is so important because if you're in a relationship with someone, a close relationship, and you're trying to witness to them and you're trying to tell them about who they are and and help them uh, deal with uh, uh, looking at themselves and so forth, they need to trust in what you're saying. Yeah. Right, if you will be honest, that I don't want to go to Chili's because yeah. dang Chili's, I'm sick of Chili's. Yeah. Or whatever, it's it's the kind of thing where you're willing to be honest in a way that might be unpopular or what have yeah. you. So if you say you're doing great, you're, th- right. I you know, I see how great you're doing. They're gonna part of them will say, Ah, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Remember how I was telling you about Chili's, and I didn't care what you think, and I stuck it up your nose. Well, that's me being honest. Yeah. I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to be nice. I'm not interested in being nice. I'm interested in being honest with you and telling you what it is because I respect you, and I'm telling you you're doing great. You know, Absolutely right. I, I, Everything
0: the, I really these guys said is fantastic. I'll attack one small thing on the end here, which is, again, to the, there's a big difference between buddies and friends, as we've yeah. defined. And there is maybe as big a gulf between friends and serious romantic relationship. yeah, And to mm-hmm. put bones on that, on some level, that is, even with close friends, you can have areas where you say, you know what? Jim and I are never going to see eye to eye on right. this. Yeah, it's right. not that he's a jerk about it. It's not that I'm a jerk about it. We're not yep. hurting each other's feelings, but it's just life is easier and we can have a, a good, fulfilling friendship if I just don't bring this up and poke at this wound. Yep. And again, that super wouldn't work in a serious romantic relationship because we Mm -hmm. this conversation has to end with us getting on the same page. That's right. You know, uh, to put a little thing, I have dear friends who, you know, uh, limited government, whatever, and a lot of stuff that I don't entirely agree with, but we don't have to agree on that. Yeah. Now, if we were living in the same house and had one bank account and, you know, right. we're raising children, we would have
1: to agree on this. Yeah, if yeah. somebody wants to donate to a campaign. Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: we would we really have to get on the same page about this. But even with a close friendship there, and it's not everything, if you, if you have too many of these, but you can say, I love this dude, he builds into my life and we're doing great. But there's a couple of things where we just don't see it high and it's it's not yeah. that big a deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as much as there's been casual friendships to very close friendships, and then there's another wide chasm to – serious kind of, you know, the Bible says that people who are married are one flesh. Yep. No matter how close you are the friend, you are not that and you are not meant to be that. There's right. always going to be some space on that. And we will close it out there. Thank you for listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. I want to give another big thanks to Anne Lamott for sitting yeah. down Woo! and talking with us. The book again is Hallelujah Anyway, Rediscovering Mercy. And one of the uh, the verses she talks a lot about in that book and kind of base the idea on is Micah 6.8 when it comes to mercy. And it just so happens that our friend the pool house guru mm. has made a track based on that very scripture. We're going to oh, take amazing. you out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: Fade in. The camera slowly pans across a dusty prairie and suddenly we see what appears to be a wedding cake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we but mercy, walk humbly your
3: God. Do justly, but mercy, walk your God.